I can't believe you asked me what episode it is. Oh, right. We did the 100 wow. last week. I just, I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've had my brain completely destroyed. I mean, that's fair. I think we both have over the past seven days since we last recorded. Yeah. Uh, anyways, hi, hello. <laughs> Welcome to this week's podcast. It's episode 101. It is. <laughs> We're going to give you the lowdown, the 101 on everything. Oh, my God. Uh, this is the Season Lamy Checkup OVA. It is a podcast where we have conversations about video games, anime, and manga. Hello, I'm Jared, joined, as always, by Doc Al and Ladium. Hi, hi. Hi, hi. And uh, today, we're going to talk about some video games. That are nothing alike. Because that's all we do on this podcast, apparently, is talk about video games. <laughs> Oh my God. A majority of it is that. Yeah, well. Whoops. Whoops, indeed. There's a train going by. Choo-choo. Choo-choo, indeed. Uh, so uh, you are you are going to talk about a game that we talked about a few weeks ago, in uh-huh. a sense. In a sense. Uh, the re-release of Luigi's Mansion. Luigi's Mansion, yes. Manchon. Manchon. And uh, I'm going to talk about the one of the bigger releases of this year. It's called Gal Metal. No, it's, it's, we'll talk about that at some point in the future. But uh, we're going to talk about Red Dead Redemption. Do. Um, I get really mad whenever I see it. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? When people do the. R D R two or whatever. Like I do a lot. <laughs> I always read it as R two D two. Oh my god! <laughs> Every time I read it as R two D two, and I'm like, "What are they talking about R two D two for?" See, he's a he's I, a prominent feature in the old west. <laughs> and then I realized that it's not R two D two at all, <laughs> and I'm suddenly less interested in whatever <laughs> anybody's talking about. Um. I'm apparently not a gamer slash in a coma. There you go. You're in a coma. You're 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 not a gamer. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> because I didn't play that one, but I did play Luigi's Mansion. So you did. Are you, are you gonna are you hot, gonna hot updates on that one? Are you gonna end your review with it? If you don't play this release, you're not a gamer and you're in a coma. <laughs> I'm gonna do every review from now on like that. Every single one. There you go. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then issue a, a very bad apology later on. Very bad. Ugh. Uh, so do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Or what do you want to do? Because we didn't decide this before we started recording. Actually, we did. Um, you just don't remember. I Apparently, I don't. Because uh, I said I'm going to go first because mine is much shorter than yours. Oh, I remember you saying yours was much shorter. I did not remember you saying you would go first. <laughs> I said I'd go first. I am. I'm. Yeah, I'm tired today. So here I am, going first, talking about Luigi's Mansion. Hey, do you know frogs can't swallow with their eyes open? Snapple fact. What? Can I swallow with my eyes open? Yes. Okay, (laughs) confirmed I'm not a frog. Good job. (laughs) Oh my god. Wow. Thanks, Snapple. Anyway, I'm going to talk about ghosts. So let's get spooky. Um, So some background information. Uh, Luigi's Mansion 
It was originally on the Nintendo GameCube, and it came out in 2001. It was uh, September 2001 in Japan, and November 2001 in North America. Europe was May 2002. And so I was 18 when this game came out originally. Sure, we did the math on that. I was 13 going on 14. And it was... um, it was a launch title with the GameCube, so it was the first game that we got. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget that, like, the GameCube didn't come out at the same time like the PS2 did, because it came out yeah. at the same time as the Xbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was the first game we got with the GameCube, and we had the, the purple GameCube. It has a handle. And I remember, yeah, with a handle, so you could take it places. True. The, the uh, true portable console. And I remember really, really liking this game, like, a lot. And I've played the sequel, uh, Dark Moon, and I'm looking forward to Luigi's Mansion 3 coming out on the Switch, as we've mentioned previously in a podcast. Um, So I was really excited to replay it on the uh, 3DS, which that was released October 12th, 2018. So this is a relatively recent release for Spooky Halloween. Mm -hmm. A month ago in a day Uh, is this recording. Yeah. Um, so I got through it in a day. <laughs> you did. You just blazed through it. <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. And um, like I told you at one point when we were talking, I'm like, I think I'm at the final boss. And you're like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you just started playing it. You're like, yeah. About that. Um. So in case you don't know anything about Luigi's Mansion, the the gist of the game is that Luigi is awarded a mansion and a giveaway that he did not enter. That's how that works. Yeah. So he has the picture of the mansion and him and Mario go ahead. But Mario goes like ahead of him. And then Luigi gets there and the mansion is not at all like the picture. And so he's spooked. He can't find Mario. He goes into the foyer of this giant mansion and is attacked by a gold ghost. And he's freaking out. And our uh, our new pal, Professor Egad, appears with uh, a vacuum cleaner that he uses to try and vacuum up the ghost. He cannot, but it's enough to get them out. And so he's like, so your brother went in there. That's probably a terrible idea, man. Um, so I think you're going to have to go in there and use this vacuum cleaner, which is the Poltergust 3000. Got to give them ghosts the suck. Oh, my God, Jared. How dare. <laughs> How dare. Um, so he, he equips Luigi with the Poltergust 3000, um, which is the vacuum cleaner used to suck up the ghosts. And a Game Boy Horror, which is hilarious. It's so funny that he has a Game Boy Horror. That's such a good... It's it's A-plus naming. It really is. And so, like, when you pull it up on the screen, it, it's just Game Boy Color, but instead of color, it says horror. Real good. It's so funny. Um, and so it took me a minute to get used to the control scheme on the 3DS because... First, I realized that, like, 
you can use the the like gyro on it to aim and I was like this isn't gonna work because if I moved at all I'm like oh well okay I'm not I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing at all because because compared to the the GameCube controller it's missing a, a second stick I have the second stick oh you have the circle pad pro because well I have the oh you have the uh the nub because you have a new 3ds correct but if if, <laughs> if, if it was me you'd be boned I'd be boned yeah um, so I, I initially started trying to play with the motion. I was like, it's not going to work. So I did the other control scheme where I used the nub. And that was still a little complicated to get used to at first, but I eventually did. Did they even, like, have an option for, like, if you're playing with an old 3DS? Like, was there anything in there that you saw? or? Yeah, uh, I think maybe. I don't know. I guess you would just use the motion. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so that was a little wonky. And... Like I said, it, it took a while to get used to. There were several times that I was like trying to angle my flashlight at a ghost and was like actually angling it at the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was not good. There, there was many times that I was walking with Luigi's back like completely backwards and him just like angling at the sky with his flashlight. Um, like that looks comfortable. So um, it, it took a while to get used to, but I did eventually get used to it. And I did okay, I think. I mean, I got through it mostly. You did I, beat I did, the game. I did beat the game. Um, I didn't beat the inverted mansion because it's the exact same game, just mirrored. And so, um, they did also add like a multiplayer mode to it that I didn't get to try out. Mm-hmm. Uh, where there's somebody plays as the Gooigi. Gooigi. <laughs> Gooigi. Uh so that's pretty funny. So um basically the gist of what you're supposed to do in this game is that um you're just supposed to go through the mansion and clear it out of the ghosts and turn on the lights so that you can find Mario. Mm-hmm. And it's adorable because whenever you walking around like are walking around, you can just hit like the action button, he'll just go Mario. Mario, Mario. He's like so scared the whole time. <laughs> uh, really, what your your goals are are there these portrait ghosts, which are like the named big ghosts with actual like character designs, right? And so you're supposed to clear those guys out, and a lot of them have like very specific ways for you to get their hearts to show, so you can use the vacuum on them. I'm trying to avoid a certain word. <laughs> um, so that's what you're doing throughout the game is like finding these portrait ghosts and then you collect them in your vacuum and then eventually you will return them to Egad and he turns them into portraits for his gallery. And so a lot of them are normal. Like, you know, you have a, giant baby boss that's a portrait ghost at one point it's terrifying um but then some of them are like really really fantastically named or just super smart boss battles um like vincent van gore was really good and he is the starving artist and essentially how his boss fight works is that he keeps painting like the regular ghosts that you always have to fight in the game. Mm-hmm. 
um, on the, the canvases, then they'll come out and you have to kill those. And eventually once like he can't summon any more ghosts, he's like, Oh crap, what do I do now? And then you go after him. Um, and there's some, some other neat ones that are like, uh, like clockwork soldiers, which are kind of like the, the nutcracker type soldiers, but they are ghosts, obviously. Um, there's some like cold ghosts and there's a bodybuilder named Biff Atlas, which is a good, good joke. (laughs) Uh, but they're all like named something really, I guess it makes sense for what they do. Right. Yeah. Um, there's also a dog, which is great. Little dog ghost. Bark, bark. And so you go through all those, and some of them are optional, but most of them you have to do. And you go through different parts of the mansion. So originally you're going through like the the first part of the upstairs area, and you can see like their their parlor room, and then you go through the bedrooms of like the three first ghosts. Um, eventually you go into like the first floor, like main hallway, and you find like the butler and um. Like the the clairvoyant, which eventually you'll have to to get rid of her. But initially, if you find hints that Mario left behind, so you find like his shoe and his hat and a glove and a power star. Mario's just stripping down. <laughs> and so if you take those to the clairvoyant, she's like, oh, you know, here are these hints as to where Mario is. And uh, then after you do all that, she's like, all right, you can get rid of me now. This is fine. I've served my purpose in life and death. Uh, I mean, it's really a creative game, though. I mean, the whole idea of just having this scared protagonist go through with a vacuum cleaner and cleaning out ghosts in this mansion is great. And one of the the mechanics of it is that you're always, like, retrieving money. Like, there's a huge amount of money in this mansion that you just vacuum up constantly. And it'll keep track of, like, what your money count is, which becomes important at the end. Yeah. Um, So, like I said, I'm not going to do, like, a play-for-play on what the game is because that's not really going to be interesting to listen to. But you get through. I do want to mention, though, there is this one room that's, like, an astronomy tower. And you go in the room and it's normal and it's fantastic. Then Luigi goes over and looks through the telescope and like looks at the the moon. And then when you pull away from the telescope, the room is just like the walls blown out and you can like walk into space. And it's really cool. And the whole goal of it is to like grab a, a ghost ball with your um, your vacuum and then shoot it at the moon. You get like a new area out of that. It's really, really creative. Through the hints, though, you realize that Mario has been turned into a portrait. Um, also, there are 50 boos. Finally, the origin story of Paper Mario. Yeah. <laughs> there there are 50 boos throughout uh, the mansion that you have to get rid of, and... Um, you have to collect a certain amount. I think it's 40 before you can actually even go to the final boss. Mm-hmm. 
but 10 of them are in like or 10 or 20 of them are in one boss fight by themselves. So, you know, it's not really that hard of a, a hurdle to get over. Right. I collected all 50 because I'm insane. <laughs> um, I, I basically did a hundred percent run of like the first version of the mansion other than like, I didn't get all the money. Yeah. Uh, so he's a portrait, and the boos are there, and you find out that they are led by King Boo, who I have just recently discovered was the... This was his introduction. He was not a character before this game. Not but now boo. he is. Not a big boo. I thought that big boo big and King boo. Boo. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought they were the same thing, and they're not the same thing. Um, One has a crown, the other doesn't. Right, right. That's the um, difference. <laughs> So you found out that he, he used this mansion and lured Mario in so they could kidnap him and didn't think that Luigi could actually, like, you know, do anything against him. And he's like, you know what? I have pulled on the power of Bowser and we're going to fight Luigi for the, the power of your brother. And so you, like, warp to the roof of the mansion and you see Bowser and you're like, what? Um, But... It turns out there's like this mechanic where he throws like these spiky balls at you and you use the vacuum cleaner to grab onto the balls and then like shoot them back at him. And if you if you hit Bowser, his head pops off. Excuse me. And it yeah, turns out that it's just King Boo in a Bowser costume. <laughs> and so then you can capture King Boo and um Whenever you have, like, a portrait ghost of any type, you have to hit them with a light, and then they have, like, an HP count. And so that stamina count is, like, how long it'll take you to actually get them into the vacuum cleaner. Mm -hmm. And King Boo always has, like, a 500 stamina counter. Uh, but it doesn't take very long to get him. Um, the funniest part about it is, I think, after, like, the third time that you hit him, he puts Bowser's head on backwards... And then is trying to figure out like where the heck Luigi is because he can't see him. <laughs> uh, so that's a good goof. And uh, so you end up beating King Boo and the mansion disappears. Mario is fine because uh, Egad has this portrait machine that he uses to turn the ghosts into portraits. But it can also do the reverse and turn portraits into whatever it was originally. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mario gets unportraitified and apparently is a very painful process. And uh, so Egad's like, man, I'm sorry that uh, the mansion's gone when you thought you won it. But hey, like all that money you collected is real. <laughs> and so depending on how much money you collect, you get like different types of mansions at the end. So you get like, welcome to Luigi's new mansion. Luigi's rich. I got the bee mansion, which is like a, a really nice mansion. It's but full of bees. <laughs> bees! Bees! Um, but it you can get like a massive, massive mansion that's new to this version. Or you can get like the original nice mansion, which was an A. A. C is like still a mansion, but not, not as big as a bee mansion. Um, D is like a regular house, like probably a three bedroom house type thing. Uh, as you go down the line, you eventually get to, uh, a tent with a hole in it. 
Um, so I think it's like that regular house, then like a shack, and then the tent with a hole in it. So um, collecting more money is good for Luigi. <laughs> and turns out, um, based on Dark Moon, we learned that the canon mansion that Luigi comes away with from the original Luigi's Mansion is Mansion D, which is like the normal three-bedroom house. <laughs> so He didn't do that well, apparently. Yeah, he could have done better. Uh, so I think that's really fun mechanic that, you know, get to get Luigi a new mansion based on how well you do with the money. But it's a really fun game. It does still have some odd quirks. Like I said, the gameplay takes a minute to get used to. Um, one thing that we talked about recently was the whole urban legend of, like, did Luigi commit suicide? Mm-hmm. And that is based on the fact that there is a scene in the game where Luigi, all the power's out, and Luigi hears a phone ringing, and he goes and he answers the phone. And as he's doing that, there's a lightning flash, and you can see his shadow, but it looks like he's hanging. Mm -hmm. Like he, he's hanged himself. Um, they took that out in this version. Yeah. <laughs> they fixed his shadow. So, uh... For all you urban legend people, conspiracy theory people, Luigi has officially not committed suicide. Which, like, we were talking about this before before you, like, started playing and just, like, thinking, mm -hmm. like, are, would they keep that in? And I our general consistency was, like, no, they probably wouldn't. And then, obviously, you know, they didn't. But, uh, yeah, it makes sense why they would kind of remove that just to try and erase that controversy that they inadvertently created with that from the original release. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo's not really a fan of controversy in the first place, so, like, if they knew anything about this, which I guess they did, based on the fact that they removed it, um, then they're probably like, you know, that looks bad on us. Maybe we should just cut that out. Right. Um, but overall, like, the game's still really fun to play. It still looks great, and uh, I, had, I had a good time. Um, I guess the only really negative is that I did beat it in like a day, a day. <laughs> uh, do, but I mean, do you think like, did this need to be re-released re and remade? I guess kind of remade. Um, I think that the good thing about it is, uh, considering the fact that there's a Luigi's Mansion three coming out. Right. Um, on the switch next year, supposedly it's good. Just like advertisement for that. It's good advertisement for that, but it's also like, you know, I was 13 when it came out, but a lot of people that are getting the Switch and all would not have played that. Right, and also, like, if you look at it technically, like, there really isn't, like, an easy way to go back and replay that game. Mm -mm. With Outside of, like, going, I mean, legally going and buying, like, a GameCube and, or a Wii and getting a copy of the game, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's what I have is I still have my Wii and I still have my GameCube copy of it. But, like, that's complicated to do and not everybody mm -hmm. can do that either. So I think it's a good way to, like, reintroduce people to it. Or just, like, if somebody hasn't played it and is interested in the, the series, like, it's it's a good way to introduce them. And, you know, it's, it's like I said, it still looks great. It's a really fun game to play and... You know, it, it introduces the quirks of that entire series really well. Right. Um, 
Because, I mean, it would be kind of the thing of, like, you know, why does Luigi have a vacuum cleaner? And, like, well, because of this. And Dark Moon was fun, but it didn't have quite the same charm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that this one came, and I think it'll introduce people to it in a, a more accessible way. I wonder before if before the, the Switch version comes out, if they'll, like, bundle this with with the the sequel on 3ds and like as like a double pack or something to like, that'd be smart to like further get the word out of like hey play these games first and all that and i mean i don't know that you necessarily would have to it depends on what the story is on three but like i don't think you needed to technically play the first right, one to understand but... dark moon but like i said it's, it's a good idea and yeah um i mean it came out in 2001 so, it's getting to be a pretty old game. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's great. And a lot of people probably did miss it the first time around. One, because it was a launch title. And two, because, like, it was an odd title. Right. It's not like your your prototypical launch Mario game. Right. So, um, I think it was a really, really good idea that they did it. I would recommend playing it for anybody who hasn't, or even if you did play it like I did back in the day, and you just want to get some nice nostalgia boost there. there it actually go. holds up. Yeah. Which is not always the case, and not the case with another game that came out that, that same day, but we'll talk about that eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's dive into my game then. All right, let's dive into the game that uh, if you didn't play it, you're not a gamer or you're in a you're coma. You're in a coma. I'm just going to... Oh, wait, I played it. Hang on. I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm not. I'm dead. Okay. Well, I'm just going to I'm just gonna sit here and chat, chit-chat with myself. Mm-hmm. Have fun. <laughs> uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. The next big game from Rockstar. Which... I feel like it's hard to talk about this game without bringing up all of the the stuff around it. The, the yeah, the stuff around it. It's most most notably all of the allegations of crunch, mm-hmm. which was being levied at Rockstar near the release of this game, and deservedly so, I think. Um, it's a thing in the industry that we should definitely just change, like. Yeah, it sucks. People should not be working hundreds of hours and barely getting compensated for it, and it's sometimes not even getting credit for the work that they did. Like, it's just complete garbage. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, and so going into playing Red Dead Redemption 2, I was feeling real icky about it. So yeah, I was like, I should I that. buy this game? And then there's, you know, there's a lot of people talking about, like, okay, how do you try and, like, protest a game like this? Yeah. Like, is not buying it really going to hurt them? Probably not. You know, you're, you're better off, and in a sense, it's weird to think about this, but in a sense, like, if you're thinking about not buying it, you're almost hurting the development team who are going to benefit from this because, you know, they have, like, bonuses and all that shit attached to this, which obviously they're going to make hand over fist because this game has sold just a butt-ton of copies already, but it's, it's a weird thing to think about because, like, there's no... There's no really good answer to, like, how do you, like, try and combat this? And obviously, you're not going to be really combating 
the working conditions when you're buying a game that's already finished. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, my stance on it was, like, I played the first one, and I liked it. I I thought it was a fun game. Um, But after hearing everything that happened with it, I just really couldn't support it. That's fair, yeah. Um, I was like, I didn't like the game that much. Like, I liked it, but do I like it enough to pay them $60 for it? And the answer to that was no for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, while I understand that, like, this is considered one of the best games of the year and it's supposedly really mm-hmm. awesome, Whoa. well, by people who are not you, um, I mean, let's be real, Torn is going to get it for me, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll see. Um, but, you know, it's been getting all these accolades and people love it. And, you know, they did the same thing for the original Red Dead, um, even though they were like donkey women. Uh, but I just really, really couldn't justify buying it. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Like, if you're on the fence one way or the other, like, like I said, I don't think there's a really good answer to this. To this no, dilemma. I can see it both ways. Yeah. I, like, I can see your perspective of buying it, at, like, even though, like, it's it's made, it's done, like, meh. But um, like I can, I can see either way. And honestly, I just picked mine partially because I'm broke at the moment. That's but. also completely fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, like that's that's definitely something that should be, whenever you are talking about this game, that should be in the conversation. Yes. No, it, it fans or butts about it. Like it should be. Like you can't talk about this game in depth or anything without mentioning that. People who make video games matter. Yes. People suffering from mental illnesses because they are being forced to work hundreds of hours matter. That's not okay. That's not okay. You're right. Um, there was one thing I wanted to, to mention off the bat, and that is, uh, before before all the before the game came out, there was a big piece by Jason Schreier of Kotaku that basically went really in depth with with the whole issue of crunch at Rockstar, and he talked to a lot of uh. A lot of developers at the at various uh, studios within Rockstar, you know, they they kept their anim- anonymity because of everything that was going Jobs. down. Yeah, all that. Uh, one thing that was talked about in that article was that late in the development cycle of Red Dead Redemption Two, they decided like the heads up the Housers, I think was the the keys in this were like. We don't like the way that the cutscenes are looking right now. We are going to basically scrap them all and redo them with cinematic bars. So basically, like the the widescreen effect, like like cinematic like look. Um, and they did that late in production, and that added like a bunch of hours into the development team's uh, work and everything. And to be quite honest, it doesn't add to the game at all. I figured it wouldn't. It adds zero to that game. And honestly, like, this was uh, brought up on uh, one of the podcasts that Waypoint did about how, like, if you're going to go for that effect, like, you, there's a specific style and, like, a way you shoot for that effect. And for this, it just looks like they, they basically, since they were, they were at the end of the development, they had to redo all those, those cutscenes quickly. And they just redid them with, hey, we put the cinematic bars on and kind of moved the camera a bit to make it so it, it kind of looks a little bit better. Like, you can kind of tell, like, those those scenes are not created with cinematic bars in mind. Right. And it just, it 
there's no point to it. Like, it doesn't add anything to the game. Like, it's just, it was just essentially unnecessary work for a development team that was already saddled with a ton of just ridiculous work and time and everything. And just, it's a huge bummer. Like, it's just dumb. Um, one thing that I want to mention, just because you brought it up a little bit, um, Jason Schreier released a book um, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, uh, Triumphant and Turbulent Stories Behind How Video Games Are Made. And it's really, really good. Um, and I feel like it's really, really important for people who play video games to read um, so you can understand like what kinds of things people go through when they're making the games that you enjoy. It's true. Like a lot just, of people just kind of gloss over that fact. Like they and, don't even yeah. think about it. And I mean, I, I, I understand people are like, oh, video games are escapism. But like you also have to think about the people who are making these and mm-hmm. what it's doing to them. And yeah. he, he talks about that a lot in the book. Uh, like The Witcher 3 is on there, which we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, me and you personally, not on the podcast. But right. um just always whenever you're thinking about like when you're consuming a media or even just like anything, honestly, consider the people that are behind that. Like, you know, it's kind of weird to, it's like, Oh, you know, I'm not going to buy any blood diamonds or anything, but then like, Hey, I'm totally fine with buying this game that like completely destroyed somebody's brain. Yeah. Like mm, maybe think about some, uh, some of your morals there, buddy. Right. So it's um, it's really important to think about, and it's something that I actually wrote about like a little bit in my dissertation. But development processes are, mm-hmm. and to make it harder on these people is just not okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's my uh, <laughs> my rant. I'm still here. I'm good. I'm not in a coma. <laughs> it's. It's hard to talk about Red Dead Redemption, which we, we were going to talk about in depth. Uh, we're going to talk about spoilers. We're going to talk about the end game. So just be be warned about that if you are thinking about playing it and and want to get into that. We, we will dive into some of the like the late game stuff that, that occurs within this game. But um, Do you want to give like a non-spoilery overview first? <sighs> sure, I can try to do that. Yeah, I mean, just like general thoughts yeah. so that people who like want to tune out can tune out, but also know what you think about it. Yeah. I feel like Red Dead doesn't know what it wants to be. There's a lot of okay. points like narratively where it doesn't understand itself. Like there are there are just systems working that are like competing with each other and almost working against each other. So like, you know, there's a general overall narrative to the game. Mm-hmm. Also, there is a mechanic of of uh, morality to it. So, like a lot of uh, you know, big open world games of this nature, like RPGs, you know, you can choose to be like a good person or a bad person, and depending on that, like you'll get certain bonuses or negatives or whatever you want. I found that early on, the game tries to push you in a way towards being like a more like ruthless uh lawless type of character but if you go in the other way like it just seems counterproductive to what the game wants you to do like you will go around and do all these nice things and then you'll come back to camp and into a main story and arthur is just like so it's an illusion of choice yeah kind of like there is there's also choices within missions as well of like do you want to go help this person or do you want to just not do that 
and depending on your choice, like it'll change the mission and something like that, and it'll change your morality as well. So those things add up to it, and the ending has a difference depending on where your morality is. I don't okay. know if there's anything else in between there that like changes depending on like what you do. But it really just it's it's so weird because like the first half of that game Arthur is kind of like this and he is that to everyone and then halfway through the game he just changes and is like kinder and nicer to people. And I don't know if that's because of like oh I was, you know, that's the way I was pushing the character in the morality scale or if that's just the way the narrative goes and it doesn't make that much sense narratively for that much of a giant character change. Right. Like that's bad storytelling. Right. Hmm. Uh, gameplay wise, you know, it's a huge, that the world is huge. There's a lot of, there's a lot to it. And, you know, you'll you'll find people say that, like, there's a lot of stuff to do in that world, but I don't necessarily think there really is. Like, a lot of the towns, you have the same sorts of things you can go do. You, you know, you can go to the, the store, buy stuff, go to a gunsmith, buy guns, get your guns repaired and uh, cleaned and everything. There, You may go to the bar, uh, maybe there'll be, like, poker, some sort of card game that you can use some gambling on, and... Maybe some other stores you can go to, but for the most part, like it's going to have like the same place, same kind of locations and uh, places you can go to in a in a town that are all around the other towns. When you're out in the open, you'll sometimes have these encounters with people, and it'll be like you know just some random stranger that pops up on in your map, and they'll want you to do something. And you know the first couple of times you do that, it's like this. It seems like this. It's this organic experience. Like oh wow, you know. I went through. I rode through this one path, and this person was there. That's that's really interesting. It begins to break when you kind of start ignoring those, mm-hmm. and they start popping up again and again and again. And also, like you'll do one, and then just some like for, for one for one. Sometimes there will be like a prisoner comes in, like comes walking up to the road, and he's like in chains still, and he's like, "Hey, would you come shoot these chains off so I can get out of here?" And you're like, okay, you shoot the chains off, and then like, hey, so I I heard this this house uh, somewhere has all these goods in it. Maybe you want to rob it. And the and you'll be like, oh, are you sure you want to tell me that? And like, I I didn't say anything. What it says. So you do that once, and then like, it'll happen again, and again. It's so, like you'll have another prisoner come up and like, oh, here's another place you could go rob. I'm completely different from this other person you met. And then like another one will come up, and it's like that really starts to break the immersion. And then also there was this one instance where like, uh, I was riding through the countryside and, uh, these other, like these bounty hunters were coming the opposite way. Like we were going to pass each other. And basically they had someone locked up and were like, and the person that they had locked up was just like, Oh, you don't, I'm not the person you want. It's my brother who, who did all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I could save them, but also I don't want to mess with the bounty hunters and I have other stuff to do. So I'll just let them do their thing. Whatever. Uh, a few hours later, I'm kind of riding around the countryside again, getting from place to place. And the same dialogue comes up. The same thing. The same thing happens. Mm. And it was like, mm, that's mm, yeah. It's it, it's really breaking the immersion here because like they, they basically try and pitch this game as like this huge organic open world. But 
in reality, it's a, it's an open world like every other video game is. Like, you know, these people are just spawning in because they want you to have something to do in between you going from point A to point B. It reminds me of like how Final Fantasy 15 has like a ton of like broken down car side quests. Mm-hmm. Um, not the pocket edition, obviously. Um, but like there's this entire thing where you'll just drive down the road and you'll hear somebody like yelling or whatever. And it's like, oh, I have a broken down car. And like you're the exact same model of the guy who had a broken down <laughs> car two miles down the road. Your car is literally the same. Like my dude, what's up? And, like, somehow, surprisingly, Noctis always has the ability to fix the car. He's that good. Because he has one part, <laughs> even though he couldn't fix his own car That's when too, it broke down. That car's too hard to fix. It, but it's the same kind of idea in that it's like, okay, cool, you're trying to give me something to do, but, like... <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? 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 Meow? No, it wasn't meow. Oh, okay. So, um, we kind of, we, we talked about this, uh, off the air, but, um, I feel like in a way that's this game, the design of this game is strange and it feels old Mm -hmm. in a way that like, you know, they've talked about how like development for this game is kind of gone for like five years and it feels like that like a lot of the the ideas that kind of implement this game feel like ideas that were popular in games that were popular in 2013 so you know you have your morality scale you have mm-hmm. these strange survival mechanics that are implemented into the game oh god so like you know you have you have your health you have stamina and you have your dead eye meter all of those have cores within them, and depending on how high or how full or how empty the core is, is how much like your health will respawn or your stamina will come back or and all that sort of stuff. So like if it's, if it's full, it'll come back quicker. If it's lesser, it'll come back a lot slower. And then you have that on your horse as well. So like you know the only way to alleviate that is to like eat food and everything. And then you also you have like you have a a meter somewhere where like you know you can dep- you can have your character be like on par with his weight, you can have him be underweight, you can have him be overweight, you have to take care of your horse, make sure it's clean, make sure it's fed all, 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 all the time, and you have to make sure you're fed all the time, or else, like, you're not gonna reap the benefits of having full cores and everything, and it's like, it's just, these survival mechanics, I just don't think are that great. I mean, I think that's personally just because, like, I don't really like survival games in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't want to do a bunch of meter management, if I wanted to go camping, I would go camping. Yeah. Um, and it just... All those ideas feel like it was just like, hey, you know, those were popular ideas five years ago. And then Rockstar was like, what if we put that in our game? And then just kept it for the last five years. And, like, I just don't think, like, having that stuff really adds to the experience or anything. Like, I it, I didn't, like, have such, like, a great time having to make sure I had enough food on me so I wouldn't die quicker and stuff like that like it just it felt there's a lot of just there's a lot of busy work in this game in ways that I just I'm not a big fan of like even so you have to keep maintenance on your guns like that's a huge thing of this game to where like if your guns become like in bad condition they will do less damage they'll reload slower and everything so you have to like keep gun oil on you and go into the menu and 
hold your gun and clean it so it'll be at prime condition so it does the the proper amount of damage and everything and you have to do that constantly because you know you're going to be getting into gunfights all the time and your guns are going to deteriorate so you have to make sure they're they're at their peak performance or else you know it's going to be troublesome for you and it's just I just don't know if I need that from this game like I if I was going to go play like a survival game yeah of course like that's the kind of thing kind of things I would want from a game like that Mm-hmm. But I'm not here to play a survival game. I'm here to play rootin' tootin' cowboy game. Cowboy! And it's just like, so much. there's so much going on that like I just... I don't think really helps the experience in any sort of way. Like, it just does nothing for me. And that's not even um, getting into like the idea of like, what's a western in 2018? <laughs> yeah, one of the worst things I've seen come out of this game besides like, the whole development cycle thing is that apparently there's like early feminists in the game. Yes. And it's become a thing of like people just like beating the ever loving out of them. So there's a, I guess this is kind of, we can dive into spoilers here. So, okay. Uh, there is a mission about halfway through the game, maybe a little bit earlier where, uh, you're you're in this new area, and like there's these competing families within this town that are like hate each other, but they're very rich. And the idea is like, well, we're gonna go rob both of them because that's a smart thing to do. Uh, one of the things you learn about the gang you're in, they're f- oh god, and they come up with like the worst ideas, and you're just like, this is completely stupid. None of this is gonna work. But uh, one of the, uh, the the things about these two families is that, like, there's a young boy and a young girl on both sides of the family, and they are in love with each other, so you try and help Romeo them. Romeo and Juliet! Something like that, yeah. Uh, and the girl gets involved with this uh, uh, women's suffrage movement. The, it's like a group of them who want to try and protest the right to vote. And then, so, she's involved with that. The guy's like... Hey, you need to go find her and like make sure she's okay cuz like our family will go and try and kill them. So like you go and protect them as a uh, protest at the the I think at like the bank or something and like you just see all these guys come up and they're like, "Oh, you guys should be in the kitchen. What do you do with protest? You don't need to vote." And all this sorts of stuff and that happens like the mission kind of goes in a different way or you have to like, go fight some dudes, but like it never went in, like, a bad way for me, but, like, also, there's a point in there where, like, you know, people are using that to, like, literally go into that mission and just murder all of those people. Yeah. Which is really sh- I all- mean, legit, one of the, like, biggest <clears throat> things that I've seen come out of this game is just people beating the ever-loving crap out of them, every feminist they see in that. I'm like, why is this such a popular thing to do? Because gamers are Gamers. Sh- yeah, I know. Also... So this gets into a little bit about uh, the treatment of indigenous people. Oh, (laughs) I'm sure this is going to go right. And it really pushes forth the white savior kind of story. Oh, no. So you meet these, uh, you meet this uh, father and son and they're trying to like ask the government like, hey, can you like not take our land? Like, we are on this reservation that you put us on, like, and now you're trying to move us elsewhere. Can you, like, just not do that? Can you not? Yeah. So, like, uh, at one point you go with the son and you 
go rob this like oil refinery, get some documents and help him out. And then later on in the game, like he's basically like they're the tribe and is like warring with the US army. And the son's like, well, we should go fight them. We should go murder all those people and fight them. And your character can either be like, I don't think that's such a good idea. Or he can be like, just kind of go with it. Uh, if you kind of, if you go with like the, hey, this isn't a good idea, you go meet up with like the dad and kind of help him out with some missions. And also you help this like army guy who's on the side of the tribe and is trying to help them out, trying to like broker relationships between the tribe and the army. And you do some missions for them and everything. Eventually, everything goes bad. It leads to like this big fight between the the tribe and the and the army, and you basically lead your gang out to like try and murder all of the army. <laughs> but uh, a lot of that, yeah, just kind of feels like well, we had to get the main character in there and have him help them out. But also, like, it's just here's another white person coming in to try and fix things, quote unquote and be the savior to these people who are have been treated very terribly by other people of white origin. Uh... Yeah. It's uh it's not great. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I that's tragic. But in a way, like, I'm just not surprised that that's a thing. I'm not surprised that it's a thing, but it's disappointing yeah, that yeah, in yeah, 2018 yeah. we're still having that kind of narrative in a video game or in media in general. Right. Like, we can and should do better. Oh, what else? What else can I talk about? I guess we could talk about the story. Yeah, maybe in, a little bit in, important. We're in spoiler territory now, so... Uh, a big proponent of this game is that, you know, it's a prequel to Red Dead Redemption 1. Uh, mm-hmm. And you, you are in the in Dutch Vanderlyn's gang, which is, he was the main antagonist of Red Dead Redemption 1. And this is kind of like the story of like, you know, how he had all this gang, had this big gang and everything, and then kind of how it all falls apart. And you play a character that is not mentioned at all in Red Dead Redemption, the first game. So, like, everyone's kind of like, well, how is this character really going to matter if he's never mentioned in the the first game? Mm-hmm. And kind of matters a big deal, so it makes it even more confusing. <laughs> huh. Uh, but essentially, you know, the beginning of the game is, like, is the gang kind of going deep into the mountains, into, the, like, the snow and everything. And they are coming off a botched robbery job where things went real bad. And they are basically, like, super duper wanted. So they had to escape and try and find a way out of it. Um, the opening of the game is very slow in terms of, like, tutorializing you. Because there's a lot of stuff they have to tutorialize you on. And also they do a pretty poor job of tutorializing you on it. Because it's just, like, they'll pop up a little thing in the top left corner of the screen. Because it's a Rockstar game. And it'll just be like, here, do this thing. And that's pretty much it. Huh. It's not that great. Also, they really want you to know that, hey, John Marston is in this video game, and hey, John Marston is very important. Did you know? Did you did you remember him from the first game? He was the main protagonist from the first game. You should remember him. Hey, it's John Marston. <laughs> and uh, the one thing you learn early on is that Arthur, the protagonist in RDR2, doesn't like John Marston. 
because uh, early on he's just like, well, you know, he abandoned us at one point. He left for a year. He, you know, and how how can we trust him now? Like, does he have loyalty? Does he really even want to be here if he's he's just abandoning us at points? And he's kind of shit to him at points. Uh, and also just kind of in general, Arthur's just kind of a shit dude. <laughs> to where like for like the first few hours of that game, I'm just like, I don't. How am I supposed to like this dude as a character? Like he just kind of sucks. Uh, and then you know, eventually things progress. So you, you find you like you get out of the mountains, you find your first campsite, and you do all that jazz. Um, and things progress to where you know eventually you have to leave that campsite because uh, you get into some bad trouble and maybe murder some people in a town casually. As you do. As you do. And uh, have to pick up and move on to another campsite. And then that's this is the place where like has the two warring families and all that jazz. Uh, at one point, you get accosted by the law, the uh, the government. They're like, hey, uh, buddy, what if you gave us the location of Dutch and uh, we'll let you go scot-free and uh, you'll be good. But, you know, you can get that guy arrested. And you're just like, no, I'm loyal to this man. He gave me my star. He's like my father to me. <sighs> and you're just like, oh, okay bad time anyways john martian's still there oh my god he's still important <laughs> but uh john john is the uh is kind of like the the outlier within the gang he is uh questioning of everything he's like i don't know why we're doing this is this such a good idea like he's that type of character mm. and uh the the whole thing to try and rob the the two families goes very poorly because they figure out like oh you're robbing us both like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna try and murder you and then you have to leave again to find a new campsite and that leads you to like the big the big city area of the game um and here things start to go very poorly like there's starting to become like tension in the gang and everything and just things are starting to unravel in a way uh you like you you, you begin you immediately get into like this big town and start feuding with like this higher up dude we're not, he's, he's kind of like this guy who thinks he owns the town, essentially. Mm-hmm. And basically, you try and befriend him and then eventually murder him. Let an alligator eat him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wait, where is this taking place? Uh, I mean, it's kind of like in their fictional version of the United States. So I guess like this, the portion like that you're in where it's like in the big city is kind of like a fake Louisiana. Okay, I was like, are there actual alligators there? But yes, Louisiana would definitely have definitely alligators. like a bayou aspect to that place, and also like the the town's called Saint Denis. So okay, yeah. Um, but yeah. Then uh, yes, alligators are definitely a thing. Alligators are definitely a thing, but um. So yeah, they, things start to really unravel there, and they basically are like, well. We need to find a way to get money so we can escape. Finally, we can just get the heck out of here. Uh, the bad, the dude who you just who you murder, like he's like, oh, you go to this uh, bus depot. They have a lot of money there, and like it's like, nope, they don't have any money there. And also, it's just a huge setup. You eventually try and rob a bank, like in the middle of the town, and it's another huge setup. And like they kill off a couple of the characters there, and. Basically, you you hide out for like a day and then get onto a boat, and you're like, "All right, we're just gonna we're gonna get out of here, go down to like Tahiti. That's the whole plan, and just get out of here. And then eventually we'll come back and get everyone else." 
uh, bad things happen. The boat gets like into a bad storm and just like makes everyone get shipwrecked. And the I, I mean, like the idol uh, island of Guarm, Guarma. It's like around near Cuba. Supposedly, hmm. I don't know if it's a real place or not, but uh, that happens. And then like the game gets real strange at this point because obviously like you're in a a foreign country trying to help revolutionaries for some reason. Also, this is the point of the game where like you wake up on the island and you have to like walk around, try and find people. And the game literally makes you hold in the left stick to walk while it's in a cutscene. It's terrible. So bad. Uh, so you do all that. Like literally one of the people you go down there to like, or you try and help these revolutionaries kill is like some guy you you met at a party earlier on at like the mayor's house in Saint Denis. So it's like, oh, of course, like this person's going to show up like, cause that's how storytelling works clearly. And then by the time you get back, like things are really starting to unravel. Like you see like Dutch is like starting to like murder people in ways that like he wouldn't before. Like he's going against like a lot of his ethical codes that he had tried to instill in the gang. And this is when like Arthur starts like questioning things as well. He starts to get all buddy, buddy with John. John Marston, hey, you remember him? He's John Marston. He's the protagonist. He, of Red Dead he's Redemption Red Dead one. Yes, yes. So you get all buddy buddy with him now. You're like, I, John, you used to be kind of a, d but I think your ideas are becoming real good now. <laughs> and you start to begin like this huge split within the gang of like you know people who are going with like Dutch's ideals and people who go with like Arthur's ideals. So that kind of becomes a thing. So we're like just everyone's kind of just snippy with each other. And everything, and there's all this whole tension of like, well, they, people are thinking like the, everything's been a setup, like the bank job was a setup, so someone had to squeal, and all that sort of stuff. Like you begin to think like, oh, there's some, there's a snitch here, there's a mole, and eventually you do find out like there is one. Basically, all that leads down to the end of the game where you figure out who the the snitch is, who's just like this this guy in the gang who's just been like this this real the entire time, just this real antagonistic. And it's pretty much the most obvious, like, oh, wow, I'm so shocked that this is the guy who turned out to be the mole. You mean it pulled a Persona 5? Wow, it's real, real, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's like, wow, the guy who I thought would betray us and was very clearly going to betray us betrayed us? Yep. Wow. Uh, so the end of the game basically is just, like, everyone splitting off into two different groups and trying to evade the, the government coming down and murdering them all. As you do. But uh, you get into a fight on the mountainside. It's like you and John are running away from the, the government. And you, you also, by the way, in the end, like the the final chapter, chapter six, you learn that you have tuberculosis. You have oh, TB. Great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. So the whole thing is just like you coming to terms like you're going to die. So uh, you're evading the government, and it's you and John, and he's and Arthur's like, John, you got a family, you got to get out of here. I'll take the fall for this. I'll just, I'll lead them away. You get out of here. Go live your life. <laughs> I'll give him my tuberculosis. <laughs> I'll give him my TB. <laughs> so like you, you let him go, and then the traitor comes up and is like, ah. I found you. Now I'm going to beat you up. And you get into a fight with him. And essentially, you fight until like you're just out of breath and TBing to death. TBing to death? 
and basically the guy you're like crawling to a gun and like you're you're about to reach the gun and someone steps on the gun and it's Dutch and you're like oh Dutch is the traitor you should get him and Dutch is like I'm gonna be very indifferent and just not do anything here just walk away and then the traitor goes off in his own direction uh this is the thing where the ending part where if your morality is different, it'll change it. So if your morality is good, you get to watch Arthur die as the sun rises on this, on this mountainside. <laughs> if you're, if your morality's morality is bad, the traitor just murders you. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I don't know which one of those is better way to go out though. Like, I guess if you get murdered, it's a quick way to go out. TB's kind of not a pleasant death. Yeah. I mean, you have TB for like a good, chunk of time too so like you're just you're just like having a terrible time with that mega tv mega tv uh so the and then the, this is the thing that red dead redemption one did epilogue where, where it kills off the main character and then you transition into playing as a different character correct and of course for this super duper long epilogue you get you you play as john marston Wow, I am shocked. I had no idea that you would ever play as John Marston. Yeah. So basically, it's just the lead up to the beginning of Red Dead Redemption 1 where you're it's like a few years after the events that of chapter 6, the end of that, and then you're on the run kind of, you're trying to keep a low profile with your family, and then eventually you build up the ranch that is at the beginning of that you own at Red Dead in the beginning of Red Dead 1. You take it on the run. Uh, I, I kind of figured around the end of the game that, like, they're going to do the protagonist switch again. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I just didn't know who it was going to be. I was thinking, like, it's probably going to be John, but, like, also I was hoping it was, like, a different character. Like, one of the newer characters they introduced. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it was like, oh, it's John Marston. Hmm. Yay. But Yay. I just, I kind of would have felt better if they just left that alone. Like you, if you just let him die on the countryside and didn't have an epilogue. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. And just like I don't, I don't need to play as John Marston again. If I want to play as John Marston, I'll go play Red I'll Dead play Redemption one. one. And for people who have never played RDR one, RDR one, like this isn't gonna mean jack to them. Like just gonna be like, okay, I guess I'm this person now. Wow, this guy they keep bringing up, I'm him now. Wonder why this matters. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Also, I'm really upset you didn't catch my Ario Speedwagon reference. I did. Okay, you didn't mention it. I'm like, God. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's the whole thing. And then the, the rest of the epilogue is just you building a, a ranch. You get to build a house. I mean, I would have been Minecraft. okay. I would have been okay if that if the end of that game just turned into Stardew Valley. <laughs> it's just you building <laughs> a house and farming. Nice. And that's it. Getting you a wife. Or you have a wife and a kid, so. Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> but uh, like the the end thing that you do in the epilogue is go find the traitor and kill him. Because of course. Yeah. Because he's not in Red Dead Redemption One, so. Right. <laughs> so that's the thing you got to do, and also like all the the newer characters have to leave and go their separate ways. Of course. Because they're not at all in RDR One either, so. Yeah. But yeah, like that's that's kind of the whole just the story and just I don't know. It didn't it didn't land for you. It didn't really land for me. It's like 
there are parts of that game I liked. Like, it's a gorgeous-looking game. Like, just a lot of, like, the environment work is really, really well done. And there's parts of the story that I enjoyed. But as a mm-hmm. whole, like, I think it just... There's so much going on that is fighting itself. Like, going on within that game that's fighting against each other. And just issues with the narrative and the storytelling that it's, like... It's... I think it averages out to being an average game. Which I know is like contrary to what everyone else has been saying about it, but like I just I didn't get a lot out of that game. It didn't blow your mind. It did not blow my mind. Hmm. Which I think I don't know, maybe it's just in twenty eighteen, like the Rockstar formula is just doesn't Stale? work for me anymore. Yeah. Like they've they've pretty much been making the same type of three D open world game since Grand Theft Auto Four. Like in that mm-hmm. in that nature in terms of like control wise and how like missions are set up and everything and what kind of stuff you can do in an open world. It's just been the same since GTA four, which was released in what, two thousand eight? So ten years ago. Ooh. And it's like I just don't think any of that like that control that control scheme's bad. Yeah. It's bad. And like you can change it, but like I was so far in that I just didn't feel like I could relearn the control scheme and have it really be effective so like I just kept it the way it is but it's it just it's not good it's not a good control scheme and especially with like when you see other open world games doing that style of gameplay and doing it better and having better controls within them um, yeah. you know it's a better revenge story that's open world what's that Breath of the Wild it's true Saints Row 4 <laughs> Saints Row 4, yes. <laughs> oh, God, it's funny when we're like, Saints Row 4 is a better game than Red Dead Redemption 2. I would say that, yeah. 100%. I, would say, I mean, like, I haven't played it, but it sounds like it is. Wouldn't even think twice about that. At least I got to blow shit up in that one. <laughs> you did. A lot. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's Red Dead Redemption 2. Out now. Boy. That on, the the online portion of it still has has yet to come out yet. I'm I'm at least curious to see what that's going to be. Like I don't know if that's going to be enough to like keep me invested, but like I'm just I just want to see what that thing is. Mm-hmm. But uh, like just overall, like I I felt like I had more issues with that game than I had positives. So that's uh that's my my two cents. Sorry, I'm not a gamer now. I have to go back into a coma. I mean, same. Because I didn't like Red Dead Two. I didn't even bother playing it. Whoops. Whoops indeed. Well, that's pretty much going to do it for this episode then. Luigi's Mansion is a better game than Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Hot takes. I'm not going to argue with that. Hot takes. Hot takes with Jared now. That's us. The hottest yep. of takes. <laughs> and Maxwell sometimes. Max always has the good takes. I mean, he had to contribute to this podcast. He always does. Mm-hmm. In all the good ways. Uh, but hey, that's just gonna that's gonna wrap this episode up then. So if you would like more from us, go to seasonlemmycheckup.com or sac.cool for past episodes of this podcast and other podcasts like the seasonal anime checkup the seasonal anime checkup and jared now watch uh you can find columns and reviews on the site as well if you want more from ann ladium go to annladium.com you can find columns and reviews from her 
follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash anime checkup. That's where we do Twitter. And you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash SACOVA. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about some stuff. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Because you have a busy week this week. I do. I am relocating. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'll, we're not going to take a week off. We're not. But uh, I think uh, if things go, if, if things happen the way that they might happen, it might be time to Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Bake some cakes. Yeah, we gotta we gotta talk about the Great Bake Off of New York City. <laughs> I am so ready. So, uh, so, so potentially look forward to that next week, mm-hmm. which is gonna be just God. Hilarity. Oh, good, good ride. I am so ready. <laughs> <laughs>